Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Con 
Sometimes it's hard to find Words so pure and so strong Sometimes we need some help For us to sing the right songs So open up my mouth And help me sing Ich bin noch ein Nacht. 
As I stand in candlelight With my hands upon my eyes There's a passion in my prayers That rends the skies For a mother's tears can shatter Every gate that bars the way All the heavens will echo those words that mothers say 
Take my children by the hand Help them walk along your way May they never go astray May they know you as I know you Oh, Hashem, accept my plea Give me children who give nachas Mezakeini Zakeni, Zakeni, take my children by the hand, help them walk along your way. May they never go astray, may they know you as I know you. Oh, Hashem, accept my plea, give me children who give nachas. I stand in candlelight While my home is dark and still There's a void inside my heart I long to fill Will I ever be a mother? Will that blessing come my way? Will I stand by the candles? With gratitude and
covered up her brown eyes and whispered quietly a prayer for all her children with tears we all could see then she lit the shabbos candles there was one for every child then mama softly kissed us and held us for a while there were seven shabbos candles on the table friday night she called them shabbos angels for they glowed with holy lights as the night wore on and their fire dimmed they rose up to the throne the mama shabbos angels brought another Gathered at the window as Daddy turned to say, Good Shabbos, Zisa Kindalah. Then we watched them drive away. We could hear the thunder rumble as we watched the falling rain until we heard Abdullah and then. There were seven Shabbos candles on the table Friday night. She called them Shabbos angels, for they glowed with holy light. As the night wore on and their fire dim, they rose up to the throne. Sing the songs and sip the wine 
J.M. in the A.M. Country Yussi and his Stiebel Hoppers with seven Shabbos candles. Uh, New York Boys Choir at Vizakani. You heard Mila Shem Eli, words from this week's Parsha with uh, Yerachmiel Begun of the Miami Boys Choir. Poseach, it's from the uh, Amen Amen CD. Hashem Safosai done by uh, Aryeh Kunstler, Micha Gammerman's Tiskabel, Aye, that was uh, Ruvain Garber brand new, and of course Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's a Friday morning on this March the 5th, day 21 in the month of Adar, the year 5781, Tafshin Pei Olive. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Kisisa with uh, Erev Shabbos Parshas Para. So we have Kisisa plus one of the Dalad Parshios, Parshas Para this week. Candle lighting time on this era of Shabbos, 5.32. 5.32, your official candle lighting time. Again, your official candle lighting time is 5.32 on this era of Shabbos. 25 degrees. It is cold outside. Simple as that. It's cold out. With 49% humidity, winds are west at 10 miles per hour. Sunny today with a high of 39. Then tonight, clouds low 28. And tomorrow, partly cloudy. High Shabbos, 39 degrees. Yerushalayim right now at 57. Spoke to uh, both uh, Rabbi Yigal Siegel and Simon Jacob, both in Jerusalem earlier. They're doing great. And everyone is anxious for the airports to open and for things to ease up a bit with the restrictions, etc. 57 right now in Yerushalayim. 25 here in New York City as we say good morning. At JM in the AM. Malcolm Holmline about an hour from now. Weekly update. He's the executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We'll uh, speak about the news of the week coming up. And uh, and uh, Rabbi Yudin, of course. Harry Rothenberg. All about this week's Parsha. Um, yeah, lots going on, lots to do, lots to talk about. That's for sure. Um, the skies are scheduled to reopen in Israel on Sunday and they will be as full as the Israeli government's phased COVID exit will allow. But while one of the main reasons for the reopening was to enable Israelis abroad to return to vote in the March 23rd elections, the traffic appears to be two-way, with as many Israelis leaving the country as coming back in. Flights to the U.S. are already fully booked for the next two weeks, according to uh, the Jerusalem Post. What's happening now is something I've never seen before. Israelis are booking flights to leave next week, and they don't care about coming back for the elections at all. This according to Zion Tours Jerusalem CEO Mark Feldman. All other years, he said, Israelis have felt that they had a patriotic duty to wait until after the elections before leaving for Pesach. But this year, I'm hearing clients from both sides of the political spectrum say, enough, I don't care anymore. 
Under the new guidelines approved by the Cabinet Tuesday, Israelis will be able to travel to the cities of New York, Paris, Frankfurt, and Kiev, and possibly London. Up to 3,000 vaccinated Israelis will be able to enter the country each day without special permission. Others will need to apply for permission. Wow. Um, apparently, demand for Royal Caribbean cruises has been exploding. Earlier this week, Royal Caribbean said it would begin offering trips from Israel for the first time to the Greek Isles and Cyprus on its newest state-of-the-art cruise ship beginning in late May for people holding green passports. Royal Caribbean seems to be using Israel as a test case to see whether vaccinated Israelis will feel comfortable traveling, and the answer so far is 100% yes. Feldman said, I'm getting bombarded with emails from people who want to book. I think this will be a phenomenal success. Wow. 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 I'll tell you. People are so anxious. So anxious to get back to life. Oh, New York is considering congestion pricing again, huh? As early as 2022. I'll tell you, that could ruin some of my travel plans, frankly. (laughs) Congestion pricing. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, JM in the AM. Thanks so much for tuning in. Big thank you to Mark Zomik, an amazing edition of of the uh, Erev Shabbos show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. It'll play again at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Naomi Nachman's brand new. I think this is the, the final new show before Pesach. If I'm not mistaken, uh, table for two today at nine o'clock. Naomi's pre-Pesach edition will feature Jeremy Goldfeder of Lasco Getaways, Donnie Schwartz of MyJewishListings.com, and Leah Gottheim of Passover.com, and Chaim Herzog of Keiko. They're all going to be part of Naomi Nachman's table for two, brand new between nine and ten this morning here at uh, the Nachum Siegel Network right after JM and the AM. All right, so keep that in mind. And uh, after that, Mark Zomik, of course, with the Erev Shabbos show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. All right. Uh, more coming up. This is brand, not only is this a brand new song, it's also a brand new video from Ruvain Garber at JM in the AM.
וכל האום אויים דין. אויים Oh, yeah. 
Shlomo Kalbach, Samchem, Achas Viachas, words from Yom Kippur, brand new Yaakov Shweki, off of Sheer volume number three. OF Shalom, Lipa Schmelzer, Ruven Garber, brand new with Odcha, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, round the world of web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network, and of course in the beloved NSN app. <laughs> Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Kisisa, Parshas Para, two Torahs tomorrow. Candle lighting in New York, 532. Big thank you to all of you for tuning in. Want to thank those who've been commenting on the app. Trucker Yitz was telling us on the app that he had a rough morning. Lots of traffic out there in Pennsylvania. Listener Tikva, Shabbat Shalom to you. Please keep in mind Rifka Naomi Basulamis Chana. גלי בצרפת דווח על ניסיון פיגוע בעיר מרסיי בבית ספר יהודי ובמאפייה כשרה. 
לפי הדיווחים, החשוד ניסה להיכנס לבית הספר יבנה, אך לאחר שנמנע ממנו, פנה למאפייה כשרה ממול וניסה לדקור בסכין את הלקוחות בחנות. צוות האבטחה של הקהילה היהודית שאבטח את בית הספר השתלט עליו עד להגעת כוחות הביטחון. אין נפגעים באירוע. כתבת חדשות החוץ, מיכל גלנץ, מוסרת שמשטרת צרפת חיזקה את נוכחותה בקרבת המוסדות היהודיים בעיר. המשטרה, בהנחיית קצין רפואה ראשי ואגף משאבי אנוש, הודיעה שמתנדבים שאינם מחוסנים לא יוכלו להגיע לעבודה. כתבתנו הדס שטייף מוסרת שלטענת המתנדבים שכעסו על כך, מדובר בצעד לא חוקי, וכי די בזה שהם עומדים בהתחייבות הנדרשת בכל משמרת ומקדישים את חייהם למערך המשטרתי. מהמשטרה נמסר כי ההחלטה התקבלה אחרי זמן רב של התלבטות, ובעניין הטענה שההנחיה לא חוקית במקומות עבודה, במשטרה מסבירים שהמתנדבים הם לא עובדים. המשטרה חשפה הלילה שלושה בתי הימורים בלתי חוקיים באזור ראשון לציון והסביבה תוך הפרת הנחיות הקורונה. לכל אחד מהנוכחים נרשם דוח בסך 500 שקלים, ולמפעילי המקומות נרשמו דוחות בסך 5,000 שקלים, והם זומנו לשימוע בתחנת המשטרה ביום ראשון. במשמרות המהפכה של איראן טוענים, סיכלנו אמש ניסיון חטיפת מטוס נוסעים אזרחים. לפי הטענות, מדובר במטוס של חברת התעופה איראן אייר, שאימרים מהעיר אבהאז למשהד. בטהרן מדווחים כי המטוס ביצע נחיתת חירום בעיר אספהאן, לאחר שהחשוד ניסה לשנות את נתיב הטיסה לעבר אחת ממדינות המפרץ. עם הנחיתה הוא נעצר. שגריר איחוד האמירויות בישראל, מוחמד אלחאג'ה, סיים אמש ארבעה ימי ביקור בארץ. השגריר ישוב לאחר הבחירות בישראל ויחל בעבודתו אחרי שימצאו לו משרדים בתל אביב ומעון רשמי. במהלך ביקורו הגיש אלחאג'ה את כתב האמנתו לנשיא ריבלין, נפגש עם ראש הממשלה ונועד לשיחות עבודה עם שר החוץ, שר התיירות, השר לשיתוף פעולה אזורי ושר הכלכלה. ידיעה שהעביר כתבנו לענייני ערבים, ג'קי חוגי. מזג האוויר מעוניין חלקית עם עלייה ניכרת בטמפרטורות, מחר תחול עלייה נוספת בטמפרטורות בהרים ובפנים הארץ, והן תהיינה רגילות לעונה. אלה החדשות. תשיב בי את הרוח, תוריד ממני את הגשם, היה לי ים זמן לנוח. התרגלתי קצת בעצם, ובמרחב הפתוח, רואים באופק את השמש, אין ספק אני בטוח, בסוף עוד תתבהר הדרך. פתח לנו שערי אמונה, שערי הבנה שאין לנו מלך אלא אתה. סיפת הסיבות, עילת העילות, נורא תהילות, ורק לך נאה להודות על כל הימים וכל הלילות. Thank 
JM in the AM. David Perlman, Shira Shabalev. That's brand new here at JM in the AM. Uh, before that, Yishai Rebo, brand new with Sibata Sibot. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos, Parshas Kisisa, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Para. Candle lighting in New York at 532. 25 degrees, it's cold outside with sunshine and a high of 39. Malcolm Honeline, a half hour from now, 30 minutes away. The uh, weekly update, he is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Make sure to be tuned in. 30 minutes from now as we go through the events of the week. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. And uh, we thank you for that. Harry Rothenberg has uh, comments regarding uh, Parshas Kisisa, Parshas Para. Here he is at JM in the AM. You can actually get dizzy going through this week's Torah portion. Moses, Moshe is going up and down and up and down the mountain three times. Each time, 40 days and 40 nights. The Medrash, the sages tell us that he wasn't eating, sleeping, or drinking during those 40 days. Why 40 days? Particularly the first set of days. What's he doing up there? God is giving him the Torah, teaching him the Torah with all of its intricacies. But that should actually take more than 40 days. God must have compressed that time. But once he's going to compress that time, why not narrow it down instead of 40 days to four seconds? Just take that godly finger and zap the Torah and all of its laws straight into Moshe's head and send them back down the mountain. Because think of the risk. 40 days is a pretty long time. The Jews are down at the base of the mountain. No civilization. They're in the wilderness. They got a lot of gold on their hands that they've taken from the Egyptians. Who knows what trouble they could get into. They might melt that gold and make a golden calf. Sure enough, that's what happens. So why did God keep Moshe on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights instead of just teaching him the Torah in an instant, in an eye blink? Because he wanted to show him and show us that if you want to study the Torah properly and internalize its messages, you need a relationship. You need a study partner. So God wasn't just teaching the Torah to Moshe. He was studying the Torah with Moshe as study partners in a relationship. And to this day, if you go into a yeshiva, you'll see that the students spend most of their day studying in twos as study partners. You have a great idea, a great argument, a great line of thinking. You gotta see if it passes muster. You have to put it through the crucible. You have to run the gauntlet. You have to see what your study partner thinks. You may agree. He may disagree. He may take your argument and chop it up into little pieces, drop it on the floor and jump up and down on top of it. And you have to go back to the drawing board. A little humbling, but you'll be better off for it. The best example of this comes from the story in the Talmud that tells us about the relationship between the great sage, Rav Yochanan, and his disciple, Reish Lakish. Reish Lakish started off as the protege of Rav Yochanan, but then eventually became one of the great sages in his own right. And they became Chavrusas, study partners, for years. Their agreements and disagreements are recorded throughout the Talmud. 
until the tragic end of Reish Lakish's life. He dies, and his study partner of Yochanan is distraught. And the sages find a replacement for Reish Lakish. They bring an incredibly brilliant sage to learn with Rav Yochanan. And he's still not happy. Why not? He explains, every time I say something, this new study partner of mine brings me a proof that I'm right. Well, what's wrong with that? That sounds pretty good. I think I'd like that. Every time I say something, somebody says, I'll prove you're right. He says, you know what used to happen when I learned with Reish Lakish? Every time I'd say something, he'd bring 24 proofs that I was wrong. That's what I needed. That's how we clarified the law. I don't need to be told that I'm right. I know what I said. I need to be shown the error of my ways. That's how I refine my thought process. And that's how I narrow down ideas and discard the ones that seemed good at the outset, but in the end weren't standing on as solid ground as I thought they were. And so I get it. You like to watch videos about Torah topics. That's fantastic. And you like to study texts even better. But if you're studying them on your own, oh, are you missing out? You need a study partner. God could have written the best book ever. He did, the Torah. But he could have also written the best book ever, including the written law, the Torah, and the oral law, with the best table of contents and the best index ever. And any time you'd have a question in any generation, you'd just look it up and you'd get the answer. And that book would gather dust because that would be boring instead when you have that back and forth, when you have the war of the Torah between sparring chavruses, study partners who will argue and argue and argue, and then of course get up as best friends, go get a coffee together. That is when you own it. That's when you remember it. That's when you internalize it. That's when it becomes deep and meaningful. That's when it becomes alive and exciting. And then you can pass that excitement down, generation to generation, grandparents to their children, to the grandchildren, throughout the ages. The water's on my mind and I just can't swim. The only way to win is to jump right in. Some say, turn around, turn around and fight them. Some say, close your eyes and pray. Some wave a big white flag, screaming with surrender. Some quit, calling it a day. Just keep on moving, roll it on. Don't stop for the ocean. Don't stop, don't stop. Keep on moving, waters fade away. Keep on moving, roll it on. Don't stop for the ocean. Just nothing about survival Some say Doesn't really pay Some hold on tight Screaming Can't change my nature Some say We just can't find our way Just keep on moving Roll it on Don't stop for the ocean Keep on moving Water 
Crashing, but we're coming in. Got my eye on the bright, won't stop for the lights. I'll be running down this path till he opens my eyes. Clouds are dark, I can't see a thing, but I wait to see the light that my faith will bring. Er is toch der mele koilom. Ay, wenn sie schwer, darf men gläuben. Wenn sie's geht, aber der Leuben, wo wir niemal kein Er in sie geschrei. Ui, wei, tate, 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 wenn geig den schöner Heim.
I really don't know how much, <laughs> how so much Yom Kippur selection, how so many Yom Kippur selections made it into this morning show. I'm not sure. It's part of a medley done by uh, Avram Frieden Company on with Shulam Brot on Project Relax. Oh no, Project yeah, Project Relax here at JM in the AM. Um, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Kisisa, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Para. Hello, hello, and thanks so much for joining us. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Eighth day before that with Roland. They looked like they were having a blast with uh, whatever video they were planning yesterday. A lot of behind-the-scenes stuff going on in the social media with eighth day. And, of course, Mayor Kay was there as well, which always makes it even more fun. We had eighth day on the air yesterday during our Thursday live lunch. We finally got an opportunity to thank them for participating and being the stars of a kosher halftime show 2021. I didn't even end up speaking to them about the. We spoke about a lot of things having to do with uh, you know how great it was to be part of it, and uh, and we spoke about the brand new single Roland, which we just played earlier. I didn't even mention, or, or we didn't get into the. Um, the fact that it was so appropriate for 2021, the kosher halftime show that we did, uh, in terms of the great moments of 2021, etc., some of the things that we have to keep in mind as we uh, go through this pandemic and hopefully the very end of the pandemic. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at AH. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage and Deli is the world's best, serving the kosher world since 1954 and available at better kosher supermarkets nationwide. Try A&H today, and uh, there's a, a bunch of A&H products in the beef salami line, the beef hot dog line, the sliced beef deli, including the beef fry, the beef pastrami, and the corned beef, uh, the specialty beef line, and many others that are Kushala Pesach. So as you get ready for the big holiday, which starts, by the way, three weeks from tomorrow night, as you get set for the big holiday, make sure to keep A&H in mind. You can make many a great meal. With delicious A&H products over Pesach. Simple as that. It's that time of year again. Tax time. Are you ready? Isn't it about time that you went to a firm that does more than taxes? Rosenbaum Financial Services is that firm. Taxes, as you know, play an integral role in all of life's circumstances. At Rosenbaum, they identify planning opportunities based on information within your tax return. To learn more about Rosenbaum Financial Services, taxcpa2.com, taxcpa2.com, or call 1-800-829-2722, 1-800-829-2722. In addition, everybody who calls or emails, ralph at taxcpa2.com, ralph at taxcpa2.com. They'll send you the no-obligation research on the dirty dozen tax scams to watch out for. Check it out, Rosenbaum Financial Services, proud sponsor of ours here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Yes, yes, yes. Um, our friends at Art Scroll, as you know, have some great brand new books out there. The brand new Uncle Maishi book is out. The brand new Uncle Maishi CD, all available at artscroll.com. The um, brand new Fagy Murray cookbook, My Pesach Kitchen. We spoke to her yesterday on the air. That's brand new. Rayechiel Spiro's out with a brand new book. And then yesterday I just received the Hassam Sofer Haggadah written by Yisrael Besser and the Novominsk Haggadah, Insights for the Novominsk Rebbe, Rabbi Yaakov Perlo of Blessed Memory. 
These are also brand new from ArtScroll. What do you do? You go to ArtScroll.com, you order the brand new books or any books, and you use promo code RADIO. Really as simple as that. Go to ArtScroll.com, order your books, use promo code RADIO. When you do, you get a great discount and free shipping. Don't forget, whenever you visit ArtScroll.com, always use promo code RADIO. This is JM in the AM.
Yeah. 
J.M. the A.M. Friday morning. Yeah, yeah. I speak to Malcolm off the air for about uh, half a minute, and all I can determine is that I'm getting old. (laughs) We just, Malcolm Holine and I just played Jewish geography for about 30 seconds, and you cannot imagine how many people (laughs) we either know or are related to or how many came up in that conversation. Uh, pretty amazing. By the way, on the subject of uh, Jewish geography and knowing families and wishing Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov going out to Leora and Shmuel. Um, uh, and their families. Now, Shmuel is Malcolm's grandson. Got to make sure I get this right. And uh, they are celebrating their engagement. So, Leora and Shmuel Mazel Tov. Uh, to you, your parents, and your extended families from all of us here at JM in the AM. And yes, as I said to Malcolm, the uh, one of the transitions in life is when you don't, when you no longer uh, know the um, uh, the parents' generation, but you are most friendly with the grandparents' generation. Then you <laughs> then you know you're getting old. Uh, don't forget our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. 
Go to jewishworldreview.com, print out thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world before Shabbos so that you're well-prepared, uh, or well-informed, I should say, and uh, take advantage of their uh, incredible service, literally. I mean, you can't imagine how much material they have for you to— you, you don't have to read it on Shabbos, by the way. You could actually read it during the week as well, but we always recommend you know, printing it out and having it at the ready on— uh, on Shabbos. So check out JewishWorldReview.com. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time with the weekly update at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, and thank you for Mazel Tov to Leora Adler and to Shmubak and uh, everybody listening and all of Kali only have Simachot. We had enough other things in the past year. Amen to that. <sighs> Times are different, though. Time does march on. When I saw this morning the uh, report, I don't know if report's the right word. I think it was more conjecture, frankly. But you know, Malcolm, that um, Israelis traditionally have taken elections and the responsibility to vote very, very seriously. Uh, this morning's article that I saw basically said that there are plenty of Israelis who are set to leave because you know the airports supposedly are opening up early next week, and they have no plans to return to vote in the election. What's your reaction to that? Well, they figure they can vote in September again when the next election comes. <laughs> For one thing, second of all, they, they you know they see that the outcome is in doubt, which makes their vote all the more important, not less important. But being the fourth election in a short period of time, people are getting frustrated, and they, you're right, they don't feel the same motivation, and they don't see a difference being made by the outcome of the election. Right now, it's it's undetermined. The right would probably have uh, 62 votes, but it doesn't mean that they would put Netanyahu at the head of the government, and therefore could be indeterminate for a long time, and there could be a lot of jockeying for to get a coalition together. So uh, I think that that's reflected, and also they're obviously very frustrated by the by the clampdown and the inability to travel to see friends. To and Israelis have a pension for traveling, regardless. So they go away for Pesach and they just keep going. I guess. Yeah, they're not coming back. I um, I also, by the way, have this desire to uh, uh, to get out and to uh, to travel. Go to a bit. Israel. Did you see the, I don't know if you saw the article that I saw, but apparently uh, the cruise industry is testing out to see if Israelis want to uh, uh, go ahead and uh, and travel and enjoy cruise vacations. And apparently the answer is a resounding yes. And, and in terms of uh, a Broadway opening in New York and so many other things opening around the world, I don't think there's any, uh, I don't think anybody has uh, um, anything but a feeling of, I just got to get out, got to get out and do something. And in some cases, that literally means taking a trip for a week or two, not just going out for a night. But people are just anxious to get out for a week or two and to travel and to... And but to your just... reference to the cruise ship is very important. It shouldn't take it lightly about what it means because it has other implications, which are not obviously you know so obvious, perhaps. Uh, you're right. They expect 50,000 people to go on those cruises, which are going to leave from Haifa and stop at the various Greek islands and roads and other places, I guess ultimately in Athens and uh, or nearby, and then come back. But this is something that we have talked to the cruise lines for many years to trying to get them to break 
the isolation of Israel. There used to be cruises, boats going into Haifa many years ago. Now Ashdod, I think, uh, also can accommodate them. But this is very significant because this is very much in keeping with something I've talked about for years and we've been working on for more than a decade in the Mediterranean Initiative and an expansion of the Abraham Accords possibly when these ships will also be able to visit uh, other ports in the region, including Egypt, including Morocco, including Tunisia, etc., and ultimately many others, but also the European countries who are interested in it. It, it is um, the fact that 50,000 people are expected this year in an initial year is a very good indication. But it further breaks the isolation. It, cre- it creates this community of the Mediterranean away from the Middle East. And, and, you know, it has economic, political, security, every implication possible, energy. Uh, but I take it as a, as a very significant uh, development. Until now major cruise lines would not start cruises from Israel? Right. They didn't even visit Israel because of the security situation, because of uh, other concerns, because then the Arab states wouldn't let them come. Do you think this development would have happened without COVID? Because apparently they're, you know, again, anxious to get these travelers. And obviously, as you just indicated, Israel is filled with a lot of potential travelers. If not for COVID, would this ever have happened? I, I can't speculate because I don't know, because we didn't try it without COVID. But we did try for years to get this going, and I think that that uh, the Abraham Accords, I think the whole change in climate and the the economic success of Israel that people can afford, and I don't think it's that expensive to go on these Mediterranean cruises. And think on the other side in the Red Sea that we could start having cruises that would go to Sharm el Sheikh, Aqaba, to the new city Neom in Saudi Arabia that would go to the down further in the Red Sea where people could go snorkeling and do all sorts of things that, I mean, great opportunities abound for for changing the region. And so on the optimistic uh, vantage point, uh, it, the COVID may have accelerated this. It may yeah, have, may yeah, have absolutely. I think the pent-up demand, right. and we'll see it with airlines, we'll see it with others. Everybody's chomping at the bit to get back into Israel. And as you know, American Airlines is going to start flying directly to Israel. You think there'll be a major change in prices to Israel via airplane, or, or likely around the same what it's always been? No, I don't think it's it's going to come down any. No, that uh, I get, that I get, but, it it's, never it's, does. but it's not going to be double the price to get to Israel in the first six months, will it? No, I don't think so. No, so it'll be around what we're used to, I would guess. Right, and and you know, El Al extended if all those who had matnit points, they're extended for uh, another half year more. Well, as soon as I so figure out how to can use, use them, as soon as I figure out how to use matnit points, trust me, I'll be very happy about that. But <laughs> all you got to do is check with El Al; they they'll tell you really? right away. They're very good at it. Malcolm, interesting. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll, I'll try to implement that, to just go directly to LL and see if they can help me with that. Uh, it's always been so confusing to me. Maybe it's me, Malcolm. Maybe it's me. Could be. When I hear it, too. No. Well, what was your reaction to what happened on Saturday Night Live? Look, I think it's, you know, people can dismiss a lot as humor or under the cover of humor. But today, when everything is being challenged, for somebody to say that and to do it in such a dismissive way when it, in fact, is at the core of anti-Semitic, blatantly anti-Semitic campaigns, it's part of the delegitimization effort. They picked up this issue of, of Israel's uh, not only not complimenting them on the remarkable record of vaccination 
and the Prime Minister was on Fox News and spoke about it, and I think very effectively uh, told the story. You know that they they got ahead of the curve. They they the curve, and they were um, vaccinating in a very organized way. The army they set up these tents, and people were able just to come. And uh, unlike other places, they didn't waste them. Those that weren't um, used, because right. people would just wait, and at night they would just take everybody and use them up. Yep. Um, which is a, a huge difference because I know even one place not far from me here where at night they uh, they had it supposed because of the refrigeration issue and instead started keeping a list and people would just be notified, you know, at 6 o'clock come and you can get a shot. Yep. Uh, but but I think the the um, Israel's record on this has also became a liability because they said, oh, you see, Israel, you know, because the prime minister was ahead of the curve and negotiated right away and bought up huge amounts from each of the companies to be prepared. Others didn't. They waited. So for Saturday Night Live to say it's the half that's Jews when, A, it's so contrary to the fact the Arabs in Israel were being inoculated in the same pace. They were inoculated this week. 50,000 Palestinian workers who come into Israel next week. Thousands more will be. But it's the fact that this was at the core of an anti-Semitic campaign to say that, again, Israel's yep. apartheid, Israel they, delegitimized. They, they jumped on the blood libel bandwagon. Simple as right. that. Simple exactly. as that. And I, you know, I spoke at the rally on Saturday night outside of NBC studios, and I, and I took it personally for a bigger reason. It's not just the vaccinations. There's nobody who takes care of their own like Israel, and there's nobody who takes care of everybody else like Israel. Any natural disaster in the world that gets international attention, the first volunteers who were out there saving lives are Israelis. Right. And and to, to even suggest that they would put themselves over others or that they would not have others in mind and in practice when it comes to the vaccine or anything else is such an insult. It's, I think every Jew should be personally insulted by it, by the way, that you know our people have had such an amazing international reputation such a great record when it comes to this and they a cheap line like that is utilized to insult the the state of israel when they when it's completely unjustified and then of course as i said the blood libel thing i mean one of the oldest you know tropes in jewish history or in history i should say they hop on it and and go ahead and do it and we've one thing by the way i was really happy about it looked like jewish organizational leadership across the board and you you could tell me if i'm right or wrong from where you sit responded properly to that episode. Would you agree with that or not? I do agree with it. Good. I think that they did. Um, you know, people can express themselves uh, in various ways, and they did. But certainly, I don't think Saturday Night Live uh, could avoid uh, hearing and, and seeing the reaction everywhere. Right. But it's not the first time with them. I mean, there is a history with Saturday Night Live of these kind of, you know, you can have biting edge humor, which doesn't cross the line. And especially... They can't be ignorant to the to the campaign that has been going on in this regard. I think most of our audiences probably uh, doesn't realize the extent to which this issue around the world has been used to uh, to criticize Israel. To that even members of Congress went and uh, spoken in the in the halls and spoken before the Congress about Israel's discriminatory behavior and treatment of uh, you know of non, non-Jewish. Outrageous. I mean, it's unbelievable. But and you it, see 
how instantly it spreads. Residents of Israel, including Arab residents, obviously are getting the vaccine. They're trying to reach. I mean, I know you alluded to this earlier already in this conversation, but the outrageous behavior of the PA. You've said this to us for weeks now about how they will handle and have been handling their vaccine supply. But now it's a it's an exposed story. They're literally, they're literally just playing favorites and making sure to get it to the to the people that they care about and the leaders that they uh, you know have in their circle. And they don't they couldn't care less about the average people that are you know, residents of of those areas. And they refuse to cooperate and refuse to take stuff from Israel because uh, Abbas said this was a plot by Israel to, you know, get in. They, he, they offered to set up a place near the Temple Mount to, to inoculate, and he refused because he said this is an attempt by Israel to extend sovereignty over the Temple Mount. I mean, it's unbelievable, but the media doesn't even pick up most of those things. Yeah, no question about that. Uh, on the election, a couple of things. First of all, is Netanyahu actually reaching out to some of the Arab parties at this Absolutely. point? Absolutely. He's reaching out to the Arab communities. He's visited half a dozen or more of them. Explain that, because I don't think it's happened in the past, or am I wrong about that? Uh, no, if you remember last time, it was a big controversy because he said that the Arabs are going to the polls. I think that this is a, a recognition that the other, the main Arab parties in the Arab bloc um, is sort of falling apart. They did divide, and that there were opportunities for him to, to go in there, and he also provided inoculations, and they are appreciative of that. So the Arab bloc Now, whether is, it really yeah. translates into significant votes, we'll have to see. But certainly he was able to go there, and they they were yelling, we love BB. What about a potential alliance? Is it possible that he'd consider a moderate? No. There's no, no such that, thing. That, that won't and what yeah. about the opposite? What about the fact that some would call him a political genius and he's now broken up the Arab bloc by, by you know... Because- well, first of all, they break up themselves. Secondly, you see the Labor Party now, the Arabs walk, walked out of it again, uh, and uh, there are they and they broke up their own uh, unified bloc. So whether he had any role in it, I can't say, because it would be behind the scenes, but, um, but he certainly sees the opportunity there to, to get votes, and perhaps they will. The Arabs have voted for Likud before. And it, you know, this is Israeli Arabs. We're not right. talking about yeah, we got it. Yeah, th- 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 be clear. Right, those who are eligible to vote. Right, right. Um, what about the uh, rumor this week that now labor will not be able to get the uh, required mandates or the required percentage to have the uh, seats in the Knesset? It's going to be very interesting to see how the vote that the centrist left will will divide up. Uh, Netanyahu obviously sees Lapid as the challenge. He did a an ad, campaign ad in English by the way, about the Lapid and why people voting for Lapid, you know, would be uh, detrimental. Uh, so obviously he sees that him still as the major challenge. Mayor Michaeli became the head of the Labor Party. And, you know, each time some party announces or emerges, they shoot up in the polls and then they fizzle quickly. And I don't think that the, I don't see that the Labor Party is gaining big traction but those votes have to go somewhere. Now, we'll have to see. Do they go to Lapid? Do they unite? Do they try to see if there's one challenge? Because right now, the block of the right is 62, but it's not. it would not put Netanyahu in the prime ministership right. because some of them have said they won't serve under that, though that changes in, in negotiations. Or, as I said, we may have to go to a fourth election, a fifth election. Which would be absolutely... Unbelievable. Um, do you do you think this issue of the um, uh, the court approving of non orthodox conversions 
in Israel will become an issue either during this election season or as they jockey for, uh, you know, trying to put together uh, a, a coalition once the election's over? Well, it's certainly being used to appeal to Western uh, Olim, who may face the challenges involved. And uh, the court, you know, said it wasn't a religious decision. It was a judicial decision. Uh, it's not over yet, that issue. But the um, And then the religious parties use it to rally their voters, and because some of them tend to break off and vote for, let's say, a Bennett or a Bibi or, you know, Stephen Smotrich. Uh, so this would be a, a step by them to, to try and win back and assure their voters. It's a, it, it, it will have obvious implications there, um, but we'll see. But I, I'm I never not, can tell. I'm not it's, asking. Not a, it's not a big issue for most Israelis. Right. This is not a Miyuhudi type thing, which had international implications, right? This is a little bit different? It's still a little different, but it's still being uh, expressed here in, in uh, right. Especially, various protests. And, right, which I get. But it, it, I, don't know, I don't know if you want to answer this. I'm not asking you to take a side or a position. I'm just looking for an analysis. The fact that this never happened before in Israel's history, and now the court makes this decision— it tells you what? It tells you that, that, that there's a different atmosphere, a, a different type of society in Israel? Like this, what does it say to you? Again, I'm not looking for a position or you to legitimize or to condemn what they did. Just as an analysis, is there anything that comes to mind where you would say, you know, this tells us that this is the way Israeli life is now in 2021? Well, I think that is a, a reality, and I think there's probably larger numbers of people involved because you had a lot of Russian Olim to whom this right. applies. You have other groups to, that, that this would apply to. Right. And uh, so it's perhaps a different demographic that um, motivates it. And I think that this is an activist court. It has been for a long time. Right. And um, I think those are things that perhaps earlier courts didn't see it as their role. That's why I think the court is going to length to try to separate and to, to define very narrowly what this decision really means. And the organized non-Orthodox leadership in Israel is probably a little bit stronger than it was in decades past, right? I guess a little bit of a different presence than they had, you know, years ago. Would that be legitimate? I'm not sure that they're more organized, uh, more effectively organized. You have a, a, I think, conservative reform rabbi running on the Labor Party list, right? But um, so it's probably more. I don't know that they that. That really that they're more organized than they were in the past. So it's probably the numbers more, may be different. It's probably more the first issue where when you have millions of Olim, there's going to mm-hmm. be you know <laughs> there's going to be demand for adjustments to be made. I mean, I I, I think that's probably the most mm-hmm. realistic explanation as you as you just presented. Uh, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener sponsored digital radio, around the world the web at AlchemSegal.com and the AlchemSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Why is Pope Francis going to a- Iraq? Vacation. <laughs> no, I think this is a very important visit. People shouldn't uh, dismiss it because um, he's meeting with Sistani. This is uh, going to elevate Sistani considerably, I think. And the um, uh, you know he's showing the flag there. The, the Christian community in Iraq has has been under siege. Many of them have left. The um, various terrorist groups that operative, all the Iraqi Iranian militia fronts. Uh, have persecuted the Christian community there, which is very ancient and um, very substantial. The um, so I think the Pope going there and showing the flag and talking about peace and 
as the Iranians, you know, are trying to take over in Iraq, trying to play a, a bigger and bigger role there, and, and using it as a base, uh, as you saw the firing of missiles repeatedly at, at U.S. bases yeah. or facilities used by the United States troops, and America's response, which I think was very important, hitting uh, in Syria and showing that we're not withdrawing them, we're not going to let them just get away with with what they have been doing till now, and, you know, this the situation in Syria continues to deteriorate, if that's even possible. So Iraq is, is very critical because it is the gateway for Iran to Syria, the, the whole Shiite crescent, you know, to Lebanon, and the shipment of weapons to Hezbollah. They want an increased presence, of course, as Jeff talked about for years, about what they're trying to do in Syria and be operative against, um, against Israel. And the the, the you know, United States has drawn down the troops, but even a couple hundred troops really make a huge difference in Iraq and and in Syria. Uh, the area where the oil and uh, is located in Syria, there I think there are 200 Americans, but they really make a big difference in terms of um, you know the the security situation and American presence and trying to block Iran and its uh, adventurism, which continues unabated. People, you know, we don't even think about how much is happening because it's not news to people anymore about their um, adventurism and their their support for terrorism, their aggressiveness. You know, the the report came out about um, uh, the responsibility on the Ukrainian airline. Nobody writes about it. Nobody cares. It's it's astonishing to me. Yeah, people completely ignore it, and obviously, chief among them, the media doesn't pay and, any and attention. Look at to look it. at all the revelations about their support for the Houthis, and how the Houthis this week hit an Aramco base near Jeddah, and how many times they've uh, flown uh, missiles against Saudi Arabia. Yet we attacked Saudi Arabia, but this week, the United States, after withdrawing the sanctions, now imposed new sanctions against two of the uh, the Houthi uh, military leaders which we welcome, and it's a good move, an important move. But the, uh, you know, the messages that we sent initially that they thought that would be open season for them and that they could just uh, manipulate the, the circumstances there. So for, so this kind of a uh, um, sanction is, is very important to say, no, you're not going to get away. You're not going to be able to continue just to act in, in this uh, terroristic way. In the big picture, how are these strikes by the U.S. and Syria going to affect a potential U.S.-Iranian negotiation? Well, I think all of this really does have a role in it. Uh, as you know, the Iranians turned down a European initiative to, to have negotiations, even the P5 plus one setting or you know, indirect talks or more direct talks, and they rejected uh, the opportunity um, to to have those uh, discussions, whether, uh, as I said, public or not public. So this is, uh, it is serious. First of all, the Iranians are are, are now negotiating with the Russians whether to have another 20-year agreement, and this thing's not Russians, are not rushing into that. And Zarif said, well, it's on the agenda. If the Russians want it, it's not on the agenda. They sent the head of their marshals to parliament to Russia. Putin didn't see him. Um, And they they, they use this... um, uh, relationship. The Russians use it to manipulate the situation, although their banks are taking now ruble to rials, uh, which is the Iranian currency transactions, right. but that's, I think, more for their, their purposes. Then you have the, um, you know, the efforts that are uh, underway. They see that the 
Gulf uh, security arrangements are leaving them out, that the Abrahamic Accords didn't break up, that there are more strength to it, 130,000 Israelis going to the UAE, that they are um, being rebuffed by by Iran. And Iran keeps putting out stories that, that uh, you know, the countries are... Uh, disillusioned with the agreement and this and that. It's all they're, they're making it up, and it's amazing that the media never gets it. Israel is in talks with the UAE, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia about some sort of a defense arrangement, and they're writing the exact opposite, and the media buys it as if it's, it's, it's a, a reality, as if it's the truth. So the effect on the, the talks, I think America's saying, look, we're not going to negotiate the, the Iran deal, that it's going to be longer and tougher uh, until you you are in compliance, that, and the Iranians are saying, no, you negotiate with us, and then we'll talk about um, uh, coming into compliance. If you saw Israel and the U.S. reach an agreement that they wouldn't surprise each other on Iran, that any steps that would be taken would be discussed between them beforehand. Was there, was there an agreement like that under Trump, or this is brand new? No, this is it's new. It was between Gabi Ashkenazi and uh, Secretary Blinken, but there have been also wow. other levels of talks on the national security level where they set up the working group uh, led by Ben Shabbat and uh, Jake Sullivan. Uh, you know, again, you're not going to see a headline uh, for this. And now, especially that they found that Iran or Israel saying, and I think Erdogan spoke at the U.N., this week about Iran being responsible for this oil spill that took such a tremendous toll on marine life, on the beaches, on the uh, underwater uh, vegetation, all sorts of things, on 100 miles of the coast. And it seems a deliberate move by a ship that came through the Red Sea uh, and was headed to um, Syria, but turned off its transponders so it couldn't be tracked. And the whole time that it went along the Israeli coast, it turned off its transponders and only when it arrived in Syria, that was on February 1st and 2nd, it dumped the oil off the coast, went to Syria, and now is in Iran. And there are pictures of it docked now in Iran. Um, and th- that they are responsible for uh, the the bombs that uh, hit the, you know, against the Israeli ship in uh, in Oman, in the Gulf of Oman, where we're Clearly, either um, bombs were attached, those uh, leopard mines, I think they're called, uh, that blue hole from one side to the other. The ship is now sailing again. It was repaired, and it's back on its uh, runs, bringing cars to various parts of the, of the world. So the, the negotiations right now are not moving. I think that they're seeing the impact, perhaps, of the internal elections in, in Iran that they don't, nobody wants to be seen as being weak when it comes to dealing with the U.S. Zarif continues to be the chameleon and, you know, switching what he has to say from one minute to the next in, in this regard. On the oil spill, I mean, so what's the condition? I mean, are all of Israel's beaches blackened at this point? I mean, is they the... were, were. There's a huge cleanup going on. It's very expensive, so that's why tracking the ship is important. Also, not just to see who is involved, but it's an act of environmental terrorism, but the, um, but the, you know, trying to describe the cost. Obviously, these ships are going to deny it, and if it was deliberate, they'll do everything to cover it up. But there was no other ship now in the region that looked as it could even be a potential. So the identification of this one is, is pretty solid, even if it's not... Uh, not locked in. And, you know, there's something else that people should watch, you know, that we have legislation in the United States that uh, could impact 
um, the status of of the negotiations called Inar, Inarna, but it stands for the um, Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act, something like that. Uh, that was adopted after the JCPOA w- w- was signed, and it said that um, any agreement related to the nuclear program in Iran, regardless of the form it takes, um, would come under uh, the scrutiny and uh, demand congressional review. So it's not just that they can just move ahead with it. And the Biden administration has said that it would be uh, silly just to lift the sanctions and hope that Iran will uh, will comply. They know what they're dealing with, and hopefully they'll be tougher than some of those who were involved in the initial negotiations, won't just do a reprise. But there is this uh, safeguard which uh, Congress enacted. Now, they can retract it and undo it, I guess. But right now, it's it's on the books. Interesting. What do you think of the U.S. accusing Saudi Crown Prince uh, in the murder of Khashoggi? Um, been, it's nothing new, and it's been going on for a long time. And the question is now, what what does it mean? Do they uh, sanction him in some way? Do they? But wasn't uh, this like punish? wasn't this like an official recognition or an official uh, report as opposed to the? Uh, it's an investigation and then a report that made the accusation that tied him to the to the plot to kill Khashoggi. And um, yeah, but the question is, what's the ramification of this? It was wrong. You know, he's been condemned for it. Well, well, it uh, hurt the Biden administration relationship with with the Saudi prince and with his administration. Of course, because, uh, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Already. And we have and we have an interest in you know. I mean, uh, uh, we keep talking about the the fact that Saudi Arabia is next on the list, and that's the the big prize when it comes to the Abraham Accords. I mean, if this, is this going to set things like that back? Well, well, first of all, we've taken a couple steps. One, we stopped. I think the ta- we removed the. Uh, tariff exemption for aluminum to the UAE, and well, we're reviewing the uh, sale of the F-35s to them. We're holding up arms uh, deals with Saudi Arabia. Uh, we, there are questions being raised about the Western Sahara Agreement. So there have been signals of that kind sent, but at the same time, the administration, and this week again, came out in support of the Abraham Accords and expanding it, and even talking about supporting Saudi Arabia-Israel relations. So it's not just, lost yet. It's far from lost, and I think that the agreement are going to, going to get stronger as people for for all their vested interest, despite Iran's efforts to to undermine it and others that um, and the extremists within the countries. The you know um, I think that the the benefits and and the the more that they feel that the West, the Europeans, and others are pulling out, the more important it becomes to have this uh, relationship uh, with Israel. Has the ICC formally started to investigate war crimes in the West Bank? So the ICC's uh, prosecutor, Ben Suda, who is about to go out, I think in June, out of office after nine years uh, uh, being there um, and being replaced by a guy named uh, Khan from Great Britain, who's considered better, that... um, uh, so she didn't say, "Look, we'll put it aside." It's certainly a waste of the money of the and and change the focus when you have war, real war criminals that they should be going after and, and don't, yeah. but that they are they are launching the investigation of war crimes against Israel, which mean, and also by the way, United States would be could be in the docket because they're going they're investigating American troops in Afghanistan. Mm. 
uh, so people shouldn't think that this is just about uh, Israel. The Palestinians thank the ICC for the decision. But again, the United States has taken a very strong position uh, against it and and condemning the um, the steps that the uh, court has taken. I think universally, those who care about the court and its original purposes, I mean, the ludicrousy is that, that the countries that are sitting there, like uh, Venezuela, Syria, others, n- never get put on the docket for, for the crimes that they have ongoing and are are committing. So they opened an investigation into this allegation of war crimes uh, by Israel, but also <clears throat> by some of the Palestinian, what do they call them, militants, the terrorist organizations. And this is six years after it began a preliminary investigation of Israel and the territories. Israel obviously doesn't cooperate. And the prosecutor... Um, is said that this would cover allegations of crime since June of 2014, uh, so before the start of the, the Gaza war that summer. Right. So Netanyahu is very clear in calling it blatant anti-Semitism. There's no justification for, for it. And the United States has said the ICC has no jurisdiction. People don't understand that this is not a pro-Israel. The court has no jurisdiction because... Palestinians don't have a state. Only states can come before the court. Israel is not a party to the ICC. It didn't sign the Rome Accord that set it up. So, and and they have to give a state has to give a concession, a part of its sovereignty, to the court to enable them to be involved in the case. Because sovereign states don't have to, and and both the Palestinians don't qualify as a sovereign state in Israel. Is not a member and, and doesn't want to belong. And I have to say, U.S. has been very strong. In uh, in condemning it. Uh, finally, what is the significance of the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism? It's hugely significant, and it's becoming more and more so as more countries sign on, as more uh, adopted. And you saw Secretary of State Blinken uh, again to the credit came out very strongly, but he spoke about not only the IHRA definition which is a paragraph that defines anti-Semitism, but it also has examples which cover a wide range of things, including, you know, calling for Israel's destruction, et cetera, things like that, uh, or denying Israel's right to exist. As, uh, as part of, so they talk about the definition and its examples, which is, gives it a much broader scope uh, in its application, and the United States again, came out very supportive uh, uh, of it, and uh, President Biden has, has said it. Uh, so there was a lot of concern about whether that would be the case. And now more European countries are, are in fact, adopting it. You can't fight something if you can't define it. This gives a, a balanced definition that everybody can look to and, and utilize to uh, identify, and especially, let's say, on campuses, and we've had now a number of universities that are signing on about 36 states. 30 states, I think, have signed uh, or are in the process of uh, looking at um, IRA definition. Kentucky, I think, was the first one this week to actually adopt it. Uh, and the, this is um, so people should just take the time. It's the International Holocaust Remembrance Association definition and look particularly at the examples. You'll see that why it is so significant. Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week.
God willing. Mal- great job. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every hour of Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, Spiritual Leader Emeritus, Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good day of Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Kisiso. Parshas Kisiso, according to the Chinuch, contains nine mitzvos, four positive, <clears throat> and five restrictions. It is also the third of the four special parshios that we have annually between Ador and Nisan, this Shabbos is Parshas Pora, which, please God, I hope, will be able to connect a interesting connection between the two Parshios. There's no question, but one of the central themes of Parshas Kisisa is that of the Chet or Egel, the sin of the golden calf. To appreciate the severity of the sin, one has to look at the environment in which this sin was committed and the resulting consequences that ensued therefrom. To begin with, there's a very important Rashi found in Kisisa. Literally, it's the first Pasuk of the second Aliyah. On the Pasuk Vayitain El Moshe, whereby the Torah is then going to go in the next Pasuk into the details of the golden calf and how it happened. So Rashi tells us very important. Ein muktam umulchar batorah. The Torah is not necessarily written in a chronological order, namely that the way it appears in the text is not always the way it actually occurred. In other words, the, in the text you have, after Mishpatim, Parshios Truma and Titzaveh, which we've been reading the last two weeks, which have been giving us the details of the mitzvah to construct a mishkan, a sanctuary. And then this week we have the sin of the golden calf. Comes Rashi and tells us, that in reality, the Egel happened a lot before the command to build a sanctuary. And Rashi goes on to explain that. Sharei Biyudzayan Tammuz, on the 17th of Tammuz, we fast, one of the reasons being because Nishtabru Aluchos, because Moshe broke the tablets. So listen carefully. From Yudzayan Tammuz until Yom Kippur, which is when Hashem forgave the Jewish people, and Hashem then said, on the morrow, okay, Moshe, tell the people to build a sanctuary. So the Egel came first. And according to Rashi, not only did it come first, but the only reason why we have a sanctuary is because of the Egel. 
What does that mean? It means that the Jewish people showed they needed something tangible. Ah, you need something tangible. Okay. Make for me a building. Make for me a sanctuary that can be uh, the focus of your worship. Okay, so the idea is without the sin of the golden calf, what would have been just like we find at the end of Parshas Yisro. Which means wherever man would call to Hashem, Hashem would respond. We would not have needed a Mishkan if not for the Cheto Egel. That is Rashi. Secondly, just to appreciate the severity as to what the Egel happened and caused, the Gemara in Shabbos, Kuf, Mem, Vav, Amar Aleph, 146a, teaches that when the Nochash, the serpent, persuaded Chava to eat of the forbidden fruit in Gan Eden, he seduced her and cast Zuhama, impurity, into her. And this Zuhama was then passed on to future generations. At Sinai, the Jewish people were cleansed of this impurity and returned to their original uncontaminated state. Amazing. Meaning that there was actually a taste of Gan Eden. But this, unfortunately, was lost with their idolatry with the Egel. Unbelievable. And finally, the Medjushtan Chuma in this week's parsha, in chapter 16, teaches in the name of Rev Nechemia, that when the Torah describes the Luchos, which were personally designed by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the Torah says it was Chorus al Luchos, understood to be related to Chorus, understood as freedom, Rev Nechemia says, what does it mean, freedom min amisa, from death? Had the Jewish people not sinned with the golden calf, they would have returned to the days of Gan Eden and been granted immortality. So it is literally mind-boggling that we don't appreciate the severity of the sin of the golden calf. Now, in light of the above, the Jewish nation would have been satisfied if Hashem would have only restored the relationship that he had with the people prior to their sin. And indeed, throughout the parsha, Moshe is pleading with Hashem that he not send an angel to lead the Jewish people, but rather that Hashem himself should be in their midst. There should be hashro'as hashchina of Hashem Himself. And Hashem responds to Moshe's prayers and provides him, first of all, 
with the formula of approaching Hashem in the future should circumstances occur that require divine rapprochement, bringing us back together with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, namely the 13 attributes of mercy, the Yud Gimel, Midos Rachamim, Hashem Hashem, Kel Rachum V'chanun, that we said on Tanis Esther. What immediately follows is a startling pronouncement. Hashem says, Hinei Koreiz Bris. I am literally sealing a covenant. Neged Kolamcho Ese Niflaos. What does that mean? I am going to, in front of the entire people, I shall make niflaos, distinctions. Ashelonivru, that have never been created in the entire world among all the other nations. Now what do these niflaos, great wonders that Hashem is promising, refer to? So the Vilna Gaon, in his commentary, Aderes Elio on the Torah, teaches that it refers to the restoration of the Ananei Kavod, the clouds of glory. He continues, and he says that though we find that the Anan accompanied the Jewish people when they left Egypt, that was only temporary till they reached Yamsuf. Moreover, the Anan at that time did not protect the entire nation, only the Nevi'im Shebahem, the prophets among them. And now, the Ananei Kavod, the clouds, representing Hashem's promise, will be over the entire nation. And thus, we find in Bamidbar that the nations are going to say, wow, Asher Ayim Ba'ayim. Literally, it appears that everybody can see that Hashem's cloud is over you. Okay? And therefore, when the Jewish people traveled for 40 years in the desert, it was a most remarkable privilege for them, and it was the envy of all the nations that the Nane Kovod, the clouds of glory, were above them. Now, what I find most interesting is the upgrade in the relationship between Hashem and His nation. Now, it's most interesting to note that just as in interpersonal relationships, a husband and wife, after undergoing a challenging crisis, there are times that the relationship between the couple can become even deeper, even stronger. And this is what happened after the Cheto Egel, there was a greater manifestation of Hashem's love for B'nai Yisrael. In reality, this is portraying what the Gemara teaches in Brachos 34b, B'makom Shabale Tshuva Omdim, at a place where the penitents, those who did Tshuva, those who repented, stand Tzadikim Gemurim, the completely righteous, Einam cannot and do not stand. The Baal is on a higher level. And several reasons are suggested for this. One, 
either the Baal Tshuva superior, because it's harder for him to control his Yetzir Harat, his evil inclination, than it is for the Chassid Me'ula, the perfectly righteous individual who never became accustomed to sin. Or, secondly, the process of Tshuva requires contrition and hodoa and busha, admission of some guilt and wrongdoing, which humbles the individual and allows for a greater closeness with his maker. The overcoming of the negative behavior that the Bauchuva experience is much more challenging than the righteous individual who's not tempted by sin. And finally, you could even say that the high station of the Bauchuva is due to the fact that he has experienced Sayato Dishmaya, divine assistance in his journey of tshuva. And so if you take a step back, the broader picture of the sin of the golden calf ends with a message as the Gemara in Avodah Zorah, Davdalit Amabez says, come on, this never could have, should have happened. Why did Hashem allow it to happen? We had free will, but why did He not stop it? Three words, Lahoros Tshuva Lorabim, to teach the community, then and all future communities in Israel, that Tshuva can be done even by a community, not just an individual, and that this Tshuva is most welcome, and it does produce extraordinary results as seen by the Niflaos, these wonders, the Anani Kavod, that followed the Chait of the Egel. And I believe, my friends, that there's a similar powerful message that comes from the second Torah reading, namely Pasha's Parah. The rabbis ordained that we read annually chapter 19 of Bamidbar before Pesach, as a fulfillment of What does that mean? That our lips should recite and study the laws of the various korbanos, offerings, that we can't actually do because we don't have a base on Migdash, but it should be looked upon by Hashem as if we actually brought the korban. Now, unfortunately, we do not have the third base on Migdash yet. We don't have the Pora Aduma yet, to enable us to purify ourselves. However, the reading of this Perek, Imba Midbar, Pashas Chukas, has to inspire us with the surety that shortly we will be privileged to have that which we are pining for. And as the Navi Malachai says, in Perik Zion, Pasuk Tezvav, Ki Meitzeischa Meeretz Mitzrayim, Erenu Niflaos. As in the days when you left Egypt, I will show Niflaos. There it is again, wonders. The Navi speaks about the Niflaos, the wonders that will come in the future days of Mashiach. Now note how Perik Zion concludes. The Navi concludes this Perik and indeed his book, by citing the three familiar psukim, beginning with Mikhail Kamocha, 
which we know is a paraphrase of the Yud Gimumidos of Rachamim, which is Hashem's welcoming response to our forthcoming tshuva. Beneath the surface in Parshas Parah, what is the Torah teaching us? Teaching us that commensurate with the quality of our tshuva will be the great wonders and the neflaos that we will experience, we pray, in the very near future. If you just open your eyes to Parshas Para and Parshas Kisisa, the Torah is teaching us the best is yet to come. Shabbat Shalom to all. The Shabbat Shalom J.M. in the A.M. Except Saturday with Vishamru, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos Parshas Kisisa, Erev Shabbos Parshas Para, candlelighting in New York, 532. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Uh, this portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H, Abel's and Hyman, Kosher Hot Dog Sausage and Deli is the world's best, serving the kosher world since 1954, available at better kosher supermarkets nationwide. And I call your attention to the fact that our friends at A&H have a whole host of Kosher Pesach products, a whole bunch of beef salamis, a whole uh, a collection of items under their beef hot dog line, uh, the sliced beef salami, the sliced beef fry, the sliced beef pastrami, the sliced, sliced corned beef, all Kosher Pesach. Check it out. The beef kishka um, and many other items as well, including a lot of the uh, hot dog 
sausage uh, items uh, um, and uh, cabanosi items as well. A lot of, lot of things, Koshal Pesach, from our friends at A&H. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. And um, you might find... Um, you might find it's a good idea to get your A&H products where I get them. And that's at the Aaron's Casino Farms, Queens, New York. They have literally transformed a kosher supermarket into a kosher Passover superstore. It is unbelievable how they've done it. Everything under one roof. You should see the cakes and cookies that are lined up kosher le Pesach at Aaron's. Just amazing. And, of course, the matzah and grape juice, and as you can imagine, a full meat section and dairy section. Plus, they've done an amazing job at keeping everything, or I should say as much as possible, of their regular fare available, including their sushi bar um, and, and their bakery and so much more. So check it out. As they get closer and closer to Pesach, it'll be even more of a Kosher Le Pesach Superstore. Aaron's Casino Farms, Casino Boulevard in Queens, and, of course, online, casinofarms.com, where you'll find an amazing checklist of the Pesach items that will help you keep track of what you need for the upcoming holiday, all courtesy of Aaron's Casino Farms, who will be sponsoring our March 23rd Pesach products program. March 23rd, Tuesday morning, right here at JMA, and make sure you are tuned in. JMA on this Friday morning era of Shabbos. There's one other thing I want to remind everybody about when it comes to uh, when it comes to the upcoming holiday of Pesach, our friends at ShopEichlers.com, 20% off between now and March 10th on all washing cups. And I know a lot of people like to uh, get the brand-new washing cups for the holiday. They have the stainless steel ones, the Lucite ones, the powder-coated ones. They've got them all. Check them out. Also, check out their section of uh, upscale table settings. They're elegant, they're durable, they're disposable. And for many people, they are exactly what you need for Pesach. Also, of course, same-day delivery in so many different neighborhoods. Uh, in New York and New Jersey. Um, that shopiclose.com has all the details on that as well. You could literally go ahead and order something during the day and have it in your home that same day. If you're in Borough Park, Flatbush, Williamsburg, Crown Heights, Staten Island, Queens, Five Towns, Far Rockaway, Muncie, Monroe, Teaneck, Lakewood, Toms River, and Jackson, New Jersey. Everybody head to shopiclose.com. Great way to prepare for Pesach. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM. 17 minutes before the hour with this one from Eitan Katz.
you guys, let's hear you. I
Ruvain Garber here at JM and the AM. Title track is brand new one. Here on a Friday era of Shabbos. Eitan Katz before that, of course, with Anim's Miros. Uh, reminder, a reminder to everybody out there, this coming Sunday, a very important virtual gala is going to be taking place, and that's, of course, for our friends at Ohel. And usually this gala is, you know, massive. I mean, everybody comes out, thousands of people to join OHEL every single year. Every government official you can imagine. Uh, because they know of the important work of OHEL for the last 50 plus years. Simple as that. <laughs> it's really, there's no other way to put it. It's 50 plus years of incredible service to our community. And in many ways to New York in general. But, but that's a separate issue. Uh, if you haven't registered yet for the virtual gala, yeah, it's a shame it's virtual, but you know what? It's going to be beautiful and nice, and as we heard uh, Lawrence Garbuz mention the other day, Adina Lewis is going to be speaking, which is a, a big treat. There are a lot of people who want to hear her story. Uh, this coming Sunday, the virtual program begins at 545. Again, that's 545 Eastern time for the OHEL gala. Begins at 545. Uh, place your journal ad, register for the event, which is free. You could register to be part of the virtual event and be part of that raffle and everything. That's totally free. But, of course, we encourage you to donate as generously as possible. Ohelgala.org. Ohelgala.org. Dial 718-972-9338. Again, that's 718-972-9338. Mazal tov to all the honorees. 
Toby and Yaeli Steinberg in the Gourmet Glot family, Adina Lewis and Lawrence Garbuz, Shani and Dove Weinstock, Libby and Shlemy Dax, Mazal Tov to everybody. And remember, once you're registered, you're a, you are registered not only for the live stream Sunday night for the 5.45 p.m. Ohel Virtual Gala, but in addition, you're registered for the raffle. You could win the first prize, which is a trip to Dubai. Pretty amazing. Trust me, I know. <laughs> and second prize is free tuition for Ohel's Camp Cayley. And they have other prizes as well. So check it out. Go to ohelgala.org and again, be as generous as possible. Uh, what did I, uh, Oh yeah, happy anniversary, Tali and Adam. I'm sorry I didn't uh, get to the Mordechai Ben David selection, but happy anniversary, Tali and Adam, that came from our app right here at the JM in the AM. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM.
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing week here at JM and the AM. Thanks so much for tuning in. Brand new edition of Table for Two is next. Naomi Nachman, the final brand new edition of Table for Two before Pesach. Enjoy. She's got a lot of great guests lined up for a great show this morning. Mark Zamek and the Arab Shabbos show at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Arab Shabbos music mix, final hour. All brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Make sure to keep it here all day long. Avrami tomorrow night with Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Friday, uh, Sunday, Sunday. it's JM Sunday with Matis beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Till Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.